Leibel to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leibel just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on, everybody? Welcome. Hockey to Hell and Back, episode number... 105. Of course, I'm Brady Liebold coming at you guys live from beautiful Low Banks, Ontario. As I try to hold back tears right now, uh, I am currently in the minor household. Tom, Michelle, this is their house. Their son, Daniel, uh, former Barry Colt, uh, passed away of an overdose in 2021. And uh, since then, they have become family to me. And I can't tell you what an incredible weekend I've had. I got to go fishing with Captain Tom on the fishing boat. I got to have fish tacos at Michelle's 
fish and chips down. I got to hang out with Zach and Lindsay and Harper and Ainsley and Haley and Jack. And Susan Cook drove me down here. Thank you so much for, for everybody this weekend. I can't even explain to you uh, just what an incredible experience it's been. And as hard as it's been, as emotional as it's been, I've held back tears this entire weekend. Uh, just being around Jack and being around Haley and the family. Um, you know, it's it's been a really tough year for them. Uh, but they've been just a tremendous support of me and Puck support, and they've embraced it, and they've courageously shared Daniel's story and allowed me to share Daniel's story in hopes of helping others. So I just want to give a very special thank you to the entire Miner family. I love you guys so much. And Harper, my little buddy, taught him how to do the Michigan today. If you haven't seen it on my Instagram, you got to go check it out. It's the cutest thing ever. And he made me this tea, and he wanted me to give him a shout-out. So thank you, Harper. Uh, I'm going to talk more at the end of the show, but listen, this guy's time is valuable. And this is one that I've been dreaming up since day one of this podcast. I'm not even kidding. You want to talk about, you know, picturing something, making it happen, man, this is called manifestation. And I'm just so grateful for this man's time. But before we bring him in, we got to hear a quick word from Regan Bartell and my friends over at Team Issue. We'll be right back. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Yeah, that's been the that's been the promo code for two years for Team Issued because that's the only move I know how to do. They called me Tommy Toadrag for a reason. Uh, but listen, let's do this. Let's bring in the man, two-time Stanley Cup champ, a thousand plus games played in the NHL, World Junior Gold. We can go on about all his accolades, captain many teams in the NHL, an incredible human being, and a guy honestly that I wish I could go back to being a 16-year-old Brady and just listen to this guy and follow his lead because I tell all my players now when I'm on the ice, you know, don't ever give up and you just keep working and you dream big because I share the story of Andrew Ladd and they all pay attention and rightfully so. Most importantly though, I want to talk to him a little bit later on in the show after we hear a little bit about his story and his hockey career, what he's doing now with the 1616 Ladd Foundation, uh, working with kids' mental health, at-risk youth, uh, kids with physical disabilities. I mean, it's really, really incredible. And I know it's uh, uh, really close to his heart for a number of reasons. And I'm sure he's going to share that with us tonight. So without further ado, currently playing with the Arizona Coyotes in the NHL, my buddy from another life, Andrew Ladd. What's up, man? How are you doing, dude? Good to see you. Yeah, it's it's been a minute, eh? A hot minute. Yeah, it's been a, been a few years. We'll say it's- that. I think I think it's been like 15 years, dude, since since I last talked to you or saw you. And obviously, a lot's changed, and and we both kind of gone in in different directions. But I've always been just in awe of you, man. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, I didn't quite get it as a as a young 16, 17 year old. We used to train together at FitLife, and I mean, you could probably talk a little bit about that. I didn't really show up most of the time because uh, I had stuff going on. But I'm gonna let you talk. But I just really want to say, you know, from a guy who who played and trained with you and watched. Uh, watched you put your head down. I met you at nine years old. I was thinking back, you were playing up, playing for the Bandits, 84 with your brother Mike Ladd was the goalie, Rod Hughes. 
used. My dad coached that team. And I just remember you had this swagger and this confidence about you. Uh, and you just carried that with you no matter what people said to you. So I just want to say how proud I am of you to see all that you've accomplished. It's just been it's been spectacular. It's been special just to know that I was a small part of, of, of your journey, just getting to witness it. So thank you. And thank you for being so kind for lending your time here tonight. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you for that. Um, let me echo that to you. I think, you know, I've followed, followed your story, um, you know, all the way through and we obviously know a lot of the same people. So was always kind of keeping track of you from, from a, a distance, but, um, happy to see where you're at, my man. I know it's a lot of hard work to, to get where you are today and, and um, to see not only where you're at, but giving back to the people uh, in our hockey community and, and uh, doing the show. It's, it's, uh, it's inspiring stuff for a lot of people. So proud of you, man. I know it's, uh, it's not, it's not an easy place to, to get out of. And um, I'm just happy to see you doing well. Thank you, man. It really means, uh, means a lot to me to hear that from you. And, you know, I always looked up to you, right. And, I just think back, you know, I, I was trying to piece together the story exactly. And I, I want to hear from you about how much shit you had to go through, through minor hockey and junior hockey, where people told you no, no, no. And you had to do it the hard way. Tell me a little bit about that experience. You grew up in Maple Ridge playing for the wrestlers. Tell people a little bit about your minor hockey journey. Yeah, I mean, I would say... Um... I was never really maybe the top player. I was always really, you know, I was a, I was a solid player growing up, um, you know, top three player on my team most for the most of the time growing up in Maple Ridge and playing minor hockey and um, spring hockey, you know, those types of things. Uh, and I, I, things were going pretty smoothly till probably my, I think my second year peewee, I was playing uh, spring hockey and I broke my ankle. And, um, I kind of, so I had the whole summer I was off. I was in a cast up to my, my hip and, and, you know, I just remember getting the cast off, starting to skate again, tried out for, for the triple a team, the Bantam triple a team. Uh, and one of the cool things that my brother, Mike, you mentioned earlier, my, my brother was a goalie. So every other year we'd get to play with each other. Um, so not only a big thing for, for us, uh, but big thing for my parents too, cause they only had to drive to one practice a week instead of two different places. But um, so I, I, that's like one of the, the biggest moments that I remember where I got cut from the AAA team. And it was kind of the first time where things didn't go the way I'd planned, you know, my first little bit of adversity. Um, and I had to, you know, deal with the disappointment and, and different things that come along with that mentally. And, and I think at that point I had a choice of like, okay, I can, I can let that affect me or, um, you know, I can be determined about enjoying where I was playing and, and just having a good year and having fun playing with, uh, with the B team that I was playing on. Um, and, you know, my parents did a good job in steering me in that direction making sure that I was given everything I had for, for that team and not, you know, having a, a swollen lower lip, um, you know, cause I wanted to play with my brother and, and maybe some of my other friends. So um, ended up having, having a, you know, a fun year playing B hockey and playing a lot down uh, at, a, at a, a lower level, which is something, you know, I, I, I tell a lot of parents and kids nowadays is like with every little bit of adversity, you know, what's the opportunity that lies in front of you? So uh, for me, I, I don't think I knew that at the time. My parents did a good job of, of um, you know, 
give me a reality check and, and maybe putting that into focus then. But looking back, it was kind of a, a big moment for me in, in terms of learning like, okay, I worked my butt off that year, came back, um, you know, played, uh, made the AAA team the next year as a second year, which is obviously a big year for the WHL Bantam draft. Played pretty well, but didn't get drafted. Didn't get drafted to, uh, you know, you know, a bunch of your friends get drafted and people you know throughout the WHL. Didn't get drafted. Um, and then I ended up, as a 16-year-old, I played, uh, I tried out for the Vancouver Giants and I was cut and got got uh, sent back. And I ended up playing Junior B with the Poco Buckaroos um, that year, which, you know. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. So, again, kind of the same situation. Like, you're disappointed. Obviously not not uh, playing for a WHL team or even a you know a tier two junior A team for for that matter, but um, that was kind of you know the next challenge to tackle was junior B and playing with older guys and um, that sort of thing. So I ended up getting uh, listed by the Vancouver Giants that after camp they listed me and I ended up playing one game for them as a 16 year old. So I went up and played um towards the end of the year and um so I, I in my mind I was like okay that's a good sign that I'm probably gonna you know have a chance or be on the team the following year as a younger maybe 17 year old player and went back tried out as a 17 year old and got cut again so they sent me down to ended up playing uh, junior a tier two junior a and with the Coquitlam Coquitlam Express and and at that point um I had to decide what what I wanted to do uh, because it, you know, and I kind of, at that time, if you played a game for the WHL, you lost a year of eligibility uh, at school, U S U S school. So um, that was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, do I go and try to play in the NCAA or um, give it one more crack at the WHL? So luckily um, my cousin was in Calgary and Covey. with the hitman Covey. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, me and him were, were best buddies growing up and he, they kind of asked him halfway through my junior A year, like, Hey, do you want to, uh, what do you, you know, what do we, what do you think about your cousin or whatever? And he was like, Hey, he's pretty good, you know, pretty good player. So, uh, they were, uh, they ended up, the him and ended up trading for my rights that year from the giants. Um, and so I had that kind of dilemma in that summer. Um, and I still remember like vice principal of my school being like, Hey, I'd go to school, go to school. And, uh, you know, cause you, you always have that to fall back on, you know, you can just, the hockey's probably not going to work out. So then you can, you know, you, you'll have an education and you can go from there. Um, but I'm kind of a stubborn, stubborn guy and the opportunity to play with Covey in Calgary, Hitman wanted me to come try out. So, um, I decided to go play with, with my buddy and my cousin in Calgary and give it one more kick at the can. And, and, um, made the team that year um, was able to, to have a really good start to the year. And, and then, you know, Ryan Getzlaff came back from Anaheim's camp in the NHL. I think he, he was there quite a long time. And then when he got back, they kind of put us together had good chemistry with Getz and ended up getting drafted fourth overall in the NHL that year. Hold on. Just stop for a sec. Let's let's just, what was that? Fourth overall yeah. fourth after, overall. after all of that. And I listen, I still remember that uh, like it was yesterday. I remember being at FitLife and having like TV cameras coming in there and filming you. And it was just like it 
it didn't surprise any of us, but it really did kind of feel like it came out of nowhere. Was that how you felt about it? Like, how do you go through all this adversity and then boom, you're fourth overall? Yeah, I mean, I always, always, always hopeful of success. I don't know if I had like a clear um, vision of like NHL success at that point. I, I think it was more like, hey, I want to make a WHL team. Um, you know, I, I, I had been to multiple games growing up and, and just wanted to be a part of that atmosphere and that, that league. And that was kind of the goal. Um, and then when I got there, I think the, you know, the a few hurdles that I had to get there um, and, and having that happen, you know, two or three times up to that point where I got cut. And it was like, okay, like, just go back. What can I work on and get better at so that the next time I show up and have a better shot? And that was kind of my mindset. So I, I think having that mindset and just going into that camp um, along with the opportunity to develop and play lots as a 16-year-old junior B, as a 17-year-old in tier two junior A, uh, I think, you know, we, we've both seen guys go to WHL teams when they're 16 years old and they, they play five, seven minutes a game. Yeah. Um, so again, I, I lucky a little bit in that I, I was still the kid that, Hey, like, yeah, you want, as a 16 year old, you want to play in the WHL, right? Yeah. There's a little bit of ego there. That's like, Hey, I want to, I want to play, but, um, you know, now being older being like, Oh, like that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Mm-hmm. Cause I was playing a, a shit ton every night with the team that I was on and I was improving and I was putting every, posi- every situation, every position, and I had the opportunity to grow as a player. I think that's something like, you know, you see a lot of parents, even at young ages now, they're pushing their kids to be on the best team, the best team, the best team, even though that kid's not playing and maybe struggling to keep up, where if he's playing at a lower level, they're allowing him to play more, have the puck more, have success more. And by the way, oh yeah, that's a lot more fun to play hockey when you're doing those things, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it was a little lightning in a bottle in terms of that aspect that I, I lucked out to be in situations where I did play lots and, and, uh, and I was ready when I went to Calgary for camp. Um, and then you, like, I, I, I did, I put in the, I put in the work in the summer. Um, yeah, man. I'll just cut you off for one sec ladder and just to give people an idea. And, and there was other guys like Covey and, and other people training. I think he was always, you guys usually rode together. So he's always with you. But any time that I actually showed up to work out, you were probably there half an hour, an hour before anybody else and probably there and half an hour, an hour after everybody else. And more than anything, I, I look back and I think back to my mindset was like, oh, I got to go to training. And I look back and I'm thinking about what, what it was like for you. And it was it was enjoying that process, that in, enjoying that process of having to get better and having to work. And then you were rewarded with that. And I just want to kind of jump in because after you're drafted fourth overall, <coughs> excuse me, you probably would have you probably would have played in the NHL the following year had it not been a lockout year. Uh, but that that allowed me to play against you one game and or a couple games, I guess a, a bunch. I was in Swift and you're in Calgary. But I remember the first game I played against you, and we actually played together one game. You probably don't remember. I got called up to the Express when I was 16 
uh, and, and you were 18, whatever, and David Jones and Yipper on that team. And I still remember being in the dressing room doing the jump around to Hey Ya by Outcast, Mark Deck and Edge Jans. Like, I, I got that vision like clear as day in my mind. Um, but I remember playing against you, and, I, and you started, and I started the game. I was only 17, and we lined up like next to each other at one point. And I, I slashed you on top of the skate laces, like just a little bit, just like, hey, you know what I mean? And and you and Getzlaff were just ruthless to everybody on the ice. Like I, I got hammered by both you guys twice. And I remember Getz was like, I tried to hit him. He's like, don't even try it, you little midget. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sorry, Mr. Getzlaff. You know, like that's that was my mentality. Um, but I think I think back to that 2004, 2005. I mean, these Calgary that was. I mean, they were like sold out one game. I remember playing against you guys in Calgary because of the lockout sellout. Yeah. But then you hit another level of success. You went and uh, made the world junior team and came home with gold. Look how young you are there. Look yeah. at that. Bomb. You were all about that yellow synergy, man. I remember that clear as day. You loved those sticks, didn't you? I wish they still made them, right? Um, yeah, man. It was. I, I've talked about this this team a lot, but that was. I think everyone knew um going into that camp like hey i just need to be a part of this team um because yeah. i know it was going to be some something special there were so many um second year players coming back from the year before and we just wanted the opportunity to to uh be a part of that team so i, I that was and it, it's funny because like players grow up like dreaming of playing in the nhl for whatever reason that was always my goal like i was or and maybe i didn't i didn't, I didn't really think it was realistic um growing up um, but as I got closer and as I got drafted, I was like, oh, like I have an opportunity to be a part of this. Like, again, let's not waste this opportunity um, because you knew it was going to be a special team. And now looking back, it's, it's, it's arguably the, the best world junior team of all time. Like people still talk about it. Yeah, it's I mean, you look at how many Hall of Fame players we were going to have on that on that team, how many Stanley Cups guys have won. Um and it's it's funny like looking at it now because everybody's you know everyone's starting to, to kind of retire i think the only guys left in the nhl last year were me Getzlaff, bergeron crosby uh and carter i think those are those are the five left look at those names you just dropped there too you know like all of you guys are legit legends in the nhl yeah i mean those guys might be in you know bigger stratosphere than me but um yeah it, it was cool it was a it was a it was a cool team to be a part of because you there was a certain, like, we was like, we were treated like a pro team. So Brent Sutter came in, he, we practiced like a pro team. We approached the game like a pro team. Um, and that was kind of, I think everyone's kind of first taste of, of, of how, um, you know, professional hockey was going to look going forward and, and seeing, you know, Patrice Bergeron who came back, he, you know, he played with the Bruins and then he was in the NHL that year. So he came back um, seeing Sid, um, you know, he was blossoming into to what what everyone was expecting of him, and just like up and down the lineup, we were we were dominant from from the first drop of the puck to the end of the tournament, and and we still talk about even the camp that we had, and just how intense that camp was, and how much everyone wanted to be a part of it. Um, pretty pretty cool group to to be a part of, and I think set the stage for a lot of those guys moving on to the the NHL the next year. Yeah, and I think that's a really important. Uh, point because 
I mean, you can't really prepare yourself for, for the jump from major junior to pro, like even the jump from, from like, say the WHL to the American league is a much bigger jump than I would have ever expected. And I think people, a lot of, a lot of hockey players that I've talked to were like, Whoa, like it's, it's a whole nother level. So having that experience with Brent and obviously all those guys, I mean, it's just incredible to listen to it. I can't even imagine what it was like to actually experience it. And of course, you know, I got to see you in the summer and everything else. Um, and just to to see somebody that I knew and essentially grew up around, you know, in and around the ranks, like I, I can still picture you. I, I, have a, I meant to bring this up earlier. Remember the Challenge Cup at eight ranks? Yeah. Okay. So they used to have this shooting thing. You remember the lights and you shoot them out like nine targets. Do you remember that at all? I, mean, I know what you're talking about, but yeah. Yeah, you, you won. You won. You 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 got it. And I just remember being like, I have to beat Andrew. He's two years old. I mean, whatever. I tried and tried and tried and tried and and just couldn't do it. I never forgot that. And I, and I I watched you do it, and I was just like, oh man, like this is this is unreal, right? So I have all these memories, and then to be able to see you, you know, have so much success in the NHL, and you had success really early on, both personally and with your team. Uh, take us through this moment after everything. Like you think about the the amount of time, the short amount of time you went from being cut to being, you know, tr- like not told you're essentially not good enough to play in these leagues. And then you tear it up, you get drafted, you win a world junior gold. Now you're in the NHL and this happens. That happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I know it was, it was, it was insane to kind of look back. Uh, after that happened and be like, wow, like these last last few years have been just a crazy ride from not knowing whether you're, you were going to continue playing to like, you know, now you're on an NHL roster winning a Stanley Cup. So, um, again, I, I, I think some there was some luck there um, with with being a part of that group. Um, you know, I, I started in the minors that year and, you know, they had I got called up. There was an injury. I got called up. Um, so there was a few things that happened for, for, to get me again, to get that opportunity. And I think it's a lot of it is just when you get that opportunity, can you take advantage of it? So um, a lot of, a lot of really great memories from that year. I mean, if you look at that team, I, I was extremely lucky to, to play with Rod Brindamore's and, and Ray Whitney's and um, you know, Kevin Adams, who's a GM now, uh, Craig Adams was there Um I love this picture. Sorry, I just had to throw it up there. It's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, the Golden ears. That was, I think they call them the Crown Mountains. So um, I remember seeing. I think it was maybe Scott Niedermeyer's picture, and he he did he did a sunset picture. Um, so that was that was the second the second time I went in Chicago. So the first time uh, I won, it was like okay, it was such a. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that is Chicago. I, yeah. I totally thought it was Carolina. Sorry to yeah. cut you off there. So we'll get to that, but, um, but the, the opportunity to have like, you know, Brett Hedekin was there, Glenn Wesley, Doug Waite, Mark Reckie. Um, we had a, a really older group of, of guys that they were true pros, man. Like the way they showed up, the way they prepared, the way they competed. Uh, it was something that I had never seen before. And, and, you know, you say you're lucky to have the opportunity to be around people like that because they push you to, to a new level. And I, I think that was for me, you know, with the world junior team, you have people there that push you to get to another level. And then you, you get to be a part of that group and you have those guys to push you to another level. So um, very fortunate to have people around there. Um, 
around me to, to push me to like, Hey, get your game to a, a different level here and, and have an impact. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a blast, man. It was, in for a sec? You, you had an impact and you can argue you guys maybe don't win the cup if it didn't, didn't something happen to the goalie or yeah, if I don't run, if I don't toe pick and run the goalie over. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't even know what game that might've been game one actually, um, of the finals. And I, I was kind of trying to cut the net and some, uh, someone took me out as I was going to the goalie and I, I, Unfortunately, took out Dwayne Rolson's knee. So, um, yeah, I'm sure he's not a, not a big fan of me. But, um, yeah, that's uh, led to uh, a pretty crazy series and, and helped us, I guess, get an upper hand in terms of especially the, the goaltending battle. Well, I think, too, it probably because it would have ignited the other guys to have been like, oh, you one of you guys took out our goalie it probably made you guys rise to the occasion too a little bit to say, yeah, well, deal with it. We're going to we're going to push back, too. Right. And um, it was it was really incredible to see. How old were you there when you won your first cup? Like 20, 21? Yeah, I was 20, 20, 20 years old. So at 16, I just want to recap again at 16, you're, you're basically told you're not good enough to play in the WHL at 17. You're told you're not good enough to play in the WHL. You stick it out tier two, and then next thing you know, you're drafted fourth overall, world junior goal, Stanley Cup. Like, what was, if you can remember, you know, what what was your mindset during that time? Because obviously you went through a lot of adversity to get to that point, but w- were you on such a natural kind of high and so laser focused that life was pretty good for Andrew Ladd, or were there some struggles in trying to find your way along after you started to achieve success? Um. I, I think the struggles came for me after that, that year, um, within those moments, like f- from the time I, I played in the WHL to, to winning that Stanley cup, I was solely focused on like the next step, the next step. And it was, you know, what's the goal? How do I get there? Okay. Here's the plan. Like, let's ex- execute it. Oh, uh, and then you want to Stanley cup your first year and you think it's going to be easy. Right. I go, wow, that was, that was easy. Next year I'm going to come back and I'm going to play, you know, in top six, it's going to be easy. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't for me. I, I was, I was a young guy, uh, on, on the team the next year. And I was, you know, the easy, easy guy to take out a lineup, easy guy to take ice time away from. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't playing a whole lot. I was in and out of the lineup. Um, I was playing five, seven minutes, um, you know, those, those types of, of things. So from that standpoint, just the mental grind of like, okay, like trying to become a regular, you know, let's, let's be a regular in the lineup and have impact. And, and, you know, so coach, I don't think was the biggest fan of me at, at that point as a player. Um, and, and you're just trying to find a way to fit in. So the next year and a half after that, I, you know, it was a struggle, just very kind of up and down roller coaster. I've had, I'd have success and then the struggle, have success, struggle. And it was all, all about trying to find, uh, my groove and and be consistent as an NHL player, which which is the hardest thing to do. Um, I think it's easy for a lot of young guys to come in the lineup and have an impact right away. It, the hard part is is doing it night in night out um, for a whole career. And, and I think you 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 know I got was able to get to a thousand games this year. And I think that's the thing I'm most proud of is is just the longevity and the uh, consistency consistency you have to have to get to that number uh meant meant a lot to me so uh i would say that was the the biggest struggle for me and then i ended up getting traded to chicago um 
you know, at, at the deadline. Um, wasn't really expecting it. You know, I was one of the young guys on the team and we had an older group. So the thought was maybe they would, you know, they would want to start playing the young guys more. Um, but uh, that wasn't the case. I ended up uh, getting shipped off to Chicago. Uh, and again, it's like another moment of, okay, you know, it's a little bit of shock, but what, you know, what opportunity do I have here going to uh, a pretty young team with that just drafted two pretty special players. Um, and, and I didn't know it at that time, but that was going to be a, you know, a special place to, to play and um, a special group to, to be a part of. So uh, kind of the, just the next journey, next thing on, on the list was like, okay, how do I take advantage of maybe some more ice time being a, more mature player on this team and, and be able to bring uh, some playoff pedigree to a group of, of young players. Yeah. And when I, when I think back to the, the Chicago Blackhawks group that you guys had and, and watching and, and, you know, I wasn't really a, a, a fan of a certain team, but of course, growing up in Vancouver in the playoffs, you always want to, you know, cheer for the Canucks because we never seen them win a Stanley cup. And it's like, maybe this is the year. And, and some of those series you guys had against Vancouver and just a couple of those runs that you guys went on, it was some of the best hockey that I can remember um, watching um, from your guys' standpoint, the Chicago Blackhawks. Phenomenal. You end up winning another Stanley Cup. How old are you in this picture? Oh, I would have been 23 or 24. It's crazy to think about how all that happened in 24. What like, what did it mean to you to be able to bring back that Stanley Cup to your family, your mom and dad, uh, share it with, you know, Steve Covington and, and everybody else uh, that was a part of your journey and also had maybe had their own journey, your brother, Mike, um, your other friends. Um, wh- what did that mean to you? Obviously, you had already done it once. Uh, maybe you can walk us back a little bit to the first time, the second time, if there's any differences. Uh, but did you get a chance to really just sit back then and really embrace it and enjoy it? Yeah, the second one was you learn like anything. You learn something from the first time you do anything. Um, and, and for me, that was that was definitely a case in winning. Um, taking more time to to really let it soak in as we were winning. Um, you know, on the ice, in the room with the guys, the plane ride home after the first one. I think you understand like those are the moments, like those are the moments that matter. Um, yeah. and, and you wanted to soak that in as as much as possible and then when you get the day you did with the cup like the the natural thing to do the first time is like hey like let's get as much as i can into this day and see as many people and do you know have an impact on as many people as possible um which was a lot of fun but like at the end of that day that's a that's an exhausting day so uh i i, I would say I, I took more time with the cup the second time um i made it it was a little more relaxed the chill where you get just got to like actually hang out be with family friends be with the people that helped you get to that point um and then do you know do a cool picture like that where we just it was like hey like let's we took a helicopter up to uh i think it was crown mountains for for uh sunrise it was just me my my uh future wife at that time and uh her brother was a photographer so he took the pictures and then the the pilot um wow. so we got up at like 3 30 and went to the the airport and it was one of the coolest things i've ever done and I, I i you know just the opportunity to be up there by yourself 
quiet. You know, I'm, I think I'm probably someone who doesn't like to be, you know, too quiet and, and doesn't take enough time to like actually sit with, with uh, maybe those moments enough. And, and for me to, it's cool to, to look back and um, just have that time alone with the cup. Cause when you, you know, when you win it, there's, there's a lot of people and a lot of family and friends you want to, you want to share it with. Um, but it, you know, I think the second time I took a little bit of time for myself, which was, which, uh, you know, I think was pretty valuable now looking back. No kidding. How hard is it to win that cup ladder? Oh, it's, yeah, it's a hard, to me, the hardest thing ever um, that I've had to do. Uh, you, you need a little bit of luck. You need the right group um, and, you know, a few bounces. So uh, a lot of things need to, to go right. And a lot of people need to be pulling on the, the rope the same way to, to make that happen. Um, and, you know, to be fortunate enough to do that twice in my career and, um, you know, have that moment of lifting that thing over my head was is something that you never forget. And I, you know, it's the, the best part is sharing it with the people that got you there. So, um, it's hard, hard to describe. I don't think you can describe that moment, what that moment feels like. No. And, and that's why I wanted to ask you that question, because I was, I was wondering if that's the case. Like I, you know, everyone that I've asked, I've, I've had Chris Versteeg on and, and who you, you know, played with and, yeah. um, and a number of other guys, Darren McCarty, four Stanley Cups, and you know he still, you know, says the same kind of thing that that you say, right? And um, it's just it, it's just a remarkable story, man. I'm not kidding when I tell you that all my players, especially when they're, you know, telling me that they got cut from AAA or they're not good enough for this, and I'm like, yeah, just give me five minutes. Let me tell you a story about a guy that I once knew and is, uh, you know, currently playing in the NHL he's won two Stanley Cups and they're like whoa like what they're like and and I'm so glad we had this conversation because now you know people can can hear this and I, I'm not sure how much you've you've talked about what what you had to endure and how much you had to push um, and I just want to remind everybody watching and listening that you know he keeps saying oh a little bit of luck and this Andrew busted his ass to get where he is and and you believed in yourself and you made a commitment to yourself and you were accountable whether you knew how to play a pro game at 17 18 19 even 20 is is neither here nor there you were committed to do whatever it took to get there and then obviously once you got there you you continued on that path to stay there and you taught you alluded to uh, how how hard it is to establish yourself as a regular game in and game out uh and and you've managed to do that for like what 18 years or 17 years buddy like what the hell yeah. like, you get so old man right i know man i feel it Tell, trust me when i'm doing my 45 my what used to be a five minute warm-up is now a 45 minute warm-up you, you know you're getting old but um <laughs> yeah it's there's a lot that goes into it and i, I think you know it's easy to you know, have doubt every time those, those things happen. Um, and, and I think having the ability to, to, to have that disappointment, you know, you're, you're going to feel everything that's involved with that disappointment. Like that's not going away. Like it's, it's normal to, to feel that disappointment, feel the sadness of maybe like embarrassment of, of not making a, a team and being cut, especially when all your buddies are, are there. Um, but at some point it's, there's the moment of like, okay, like what, what's next? Like what I can choose that this, what I do from here. And I, you know, and, and then you come up with a list of like, okay, like I can control this, 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 and this. Um, and I can't worry about everything else. Like everything else is out of my control. 
Uh, and for whatever reason, I, even at a young age, I had that ability to, to really laser focus on the things that I could control. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of it probably just my parents instilling me at a young age in terms of work ethic and um, how I needed to be as a person. Um, so th those things added up and, um, and having that adversity, not once, not twice, but three times from when I was 14 to 18 years old, you, you, you practice at it, you get better at it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that, you know, we're trying to teach with our new program is like, Hey, like your, your brain is a muscle. Like those are muscles you can, you can train and they can get stronger. Um, so trying the, the more you just commit to doing it, um, you know, you're going to learn things every time and you're going to get better at them. Uh, but you have to be willing to, to jump all in. And you've done that. And I kind of want to fast forward uh, a little bit because it hasn't been entirely smooth sailing for you after playing like 900 plus games in the NHL. You spent some time in the American League, right? And uh, I'm sure that might not have been easy for you. Um, during, I got to ask you during those times when you're grinding it out in the American league, after you've played all these games and had a successful NHL career, I think you had an injury too, um, that you came back from. Yeah. So I, I was, I, I signed a, as a free agent with, with the New York Islanders, um, and maybe like 2017, um, summer of 2017, maybe 16. I should know that, but I don't, um, it's all been a blur, but, uh, so sign there uh was it didn't go as smooth as as i'd hoped um and ended up having i had a knee surgery in november rehab for three and a half months came back played 10 games and then blew my left knee out completely so uh two major knee surgeries within you know four and a half four and a half five months of each other um and at that point, I, you know, I remember I was at 920 games. Um, and I remember having like vividly having a conversation with Barry Trotz of like, oh, yeah, like I, you know, 920. And I was like, almost took for granted that I was going to get there. Um, and I did I, actually. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, I have a lot of years left, like it's 80 games, right? It's easy, easy to get there. So next thing you know, I'm coming back from, from these knee surgeries and like, sent down, you know, have a conversation with, with Lou Lamorello. And he's like, Hey, like, you, you know, you just don't look like the same player, go down the minors and uh, play some games, you know? So you go down what you're expecting. And even at that time was like, Hey, you know, four or five games, um, come back up and, and get back at it. And, you know, four, four and five games turns into, you know, 40 games. And, uh, and then, you know, you, you know, the writings on the wall, like, Oh, yeah, like, after that many games, like really, you know, is there any incentive incentive to, to bring me back up, especially with the contract that I had kind of all played into it. So um, that was really a tough moment for me, man. I, 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 one of the really good skills I had as a, you know, kid growing up and even through the pros was like, I could put my head down and focus on working my butt off towards whatever I wanted to. Um, but, and that, that worked for me all the way up until it didn't. You know, so then I'm 30, 36 years old um, after playing, you know, 16 years in the NHL and 920 games. And I still have, I think, three or four years left in my contract. And I'm playing in the minors. And I was 
like I was just numb to everything. I was in my own head. I was not a good husband, not a good father. I'd come and be on my phone, just like trying to like get out of my head all day. Um, uh, all the way up until the point where like my wife was like, Hey, like you should, you should talk to someone cause you're just not you. Like, I don't know what's going on, but like you need to talk to someone. So, uh, luckily at that time I had a, a friend who had a, a performance mental performance coach that he really liked. And he was like, Hey, you can give him a call. Just see, see what you think. So, uh, I gave this guy a call and, um, you know, it was best call I ever made. I, wow. you know, as a, as a, as a person and, and, um, you know, really helped me discover that I had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things I needed to, a lot of skills I needed to, uh, get better at in terms of dealing with different situations and, and, um, how I was showing up to things and, and really took me kind of on a, a journey to where we're at right now. And it was like, okay, how do I get back to the NHL? And I remember, you know, specifically setting goals with him at that point, like, Hey, okay, like let's, I want to play a thousand games in the NHL. And I was, you know, in the minors for a full year. Um, and so worked all that year with him to, uh, to get back up to the NHL basically. And then, uh, um, just, you know, it was, it was good. It was a good playground for me down there because I had the opportunity to have impact on young guys, had the opportunity to work on myself. Um, and then uh, really it was you know, just how can I get the joy back in, in playing hockey again? Because I lost that completely. It was it was completely a job for me now. And I mean, you know, the best best part of playing hockey is is the joy you get out of it. And, and you need to figure out a way to have fun day in and day out. And uh, I wasn't grounded in, in, in those different things that, you know, like I said, like the pure pureness of what I loved about the game was gone. So I had to work to get that back. And, and then I had to do a lot, a lot of work within myself to, like I said, start to build a lot of maybe the muscles that I didn't have between my ears um, that weren't as strong as, as, the, the one that I could just work, work, work hard out of, uh, I'll say. Um, so it, it's been cool. It's been, it was kind of the start of a, a really cool journey for me and all leads to, to 1616 and, and what we're doing with, with the foundation. Yeah. And so bef- just before I want to finish this, I don't know how much time you have ladder. I don't want to, I know you just got off the ferry. Oh, I really yeah. appreciate it. You rushing home and, and just doing this and being here. Um, but when you did get back to the NHL, and you know you get to i know you said it's probably the your best your favorite accomplishment best accomplishment playing thousand games and i would i would agree um with you on that one and i think even hearing now even more of the stuff that you had to go through to get there it it probably meant even more uh but when you get when you get back up to the nhl uh what did that feel like you know at 36 and maybe there was a time before working with your mental performance coach that you were like maybe i'm not Maybe I'm not going to make it to a thousand games. Maybe I'm never going to play another game. And now all of a sudden you got a chance again. Did it feel like you were like almost like not a rookie in the dressing room, but that mentality where it was just like, whoa, I'm in the NHL and I'm grateful to be here. Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, I think the best way to, to describe it is like when you have something and you lose it, you gain a appreciation for yeah, you what you have. Right. Um, so I appreciated this last year more than you know, maybe even all the years that I have played 
um, being with the guys, the road trips, uh, practice, all those, all those different things. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to, to put it. I mean, like I had, I, because of COVID and all that different stuff, like there was the year before I got traded, I was, I skated by myself the entire year. Wow. That's tough. During COVID, no one around. So talk about like a challenge too with like, Hey, you, you don't have the camaraderie of, of people going, going and seeing guys at the rank. You're just going and it's like, okay, I have to put work in today to, to try to give myself a chance maybe to, uh, maybe to, to get an opportunity with another team at the end of this year. Um, and that was really the big moment for me. I remember having a conversation with my mental performance coach and he was like, Hey, like, what do you want to do with this year? And I was like, Oh, like, you know, all the on ice stuff, like, yeah, I can work on this, 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 I, I, I worked with Adam Oates. So, um, you know, that was a, a one saving grace too. It was like, Oates, he has the ability to work on every aspect of your game. So like I could do that on ice. Um, and that saved me in terms of, of building different skills in my hockey game. But he was like, yeah, like, what do you want to do? Like, as a human, like, at the end of this year, do you want to be like, what would you be proud of doing? Um, and I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, that's not enough for me. Like, I, I need a purpose. Um, so, and that purpose ended up being 16-16. So he kind of challenged me to like, hey, I've been talking about building this program for, for youth hockey players uh and it was like okay well here's you have time right you're just skating by yourself every day so go and uh start building this this program you want to build so uh that was kind of the push i needed to like hey let's have some purpose day in and day out and that was two years ago and and now you know we're we're getting ready to, to launch a 16-week program this fall uh you know for for 100 teams across north america so um yeah, it's been cool. So, yeah, tell tell us a little bit about uh, this the Lad Foundation six, at sixteen sixteen LF on Instagram. If you're watching, if you're listening to this after, go follow uh, at sixteen sixteen LF. Check out their website. I've uh, cruised over it a few times, and it looks like you guys are really onto something. Tell tell me a little bit about you know what it's what people can expect and and what they're going to see. Kind of the the purpose, as you alluded to already. And what it means to you, um, and because I know that you know, as a as a kid, you guys um, had people with disabilities around, and and, and right and in your house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, a little bit about the whole uh, aspect of, of this foundation, because I just love the idea behind it, man. Yeah, I mean, like, so we started out as a a foundation that's really supported, um, you know, mental health. Um, people with disabilities, those different things um, were, were probably, those two things were our, our main focus. And now our primary initiative is, is 1616 and it's 1616.org if you want to check it out. Oh. Um, and, and really it's a genesis of like that moment I had of like, hey, I thought I had all these skills between my ears and I thought I was mentally like pretty strong. Um, and I wasn't. So as I started to learn these new skills, it was like, oh, like I want to get these to kids at a younger age. Uh, and my wife and I have talked for a long time about, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff that from the mental health aspect out there is very reactive. So people already have issues. It's like, okay, how do we help them? Which is all obviously great stuff um, and well needed. But 
can we do have more proactive, more proactive approach to mental health, get kids these different skills at a younger age um, so that, you know, when adversity hits or when, you know, the moments happen where they're going to have to make a decision or they're going to have to maybe lean on some strong people in their life, do they have the ability to understand the feelings they're having and ask for help or reach out to, to people at that time? So uh, that was that was always at the forefront of our mind. And, and then just going through what I went through, it was like, okay, like, hey, sports is like the ultimate delivery system and opportunity to work on these things. You know, you, you, you have a game, you, you, you know, and then that game doesn't go very well. It's like, okay, you have another game, another practice, and, and you have a group that needs to learn to, to work together towards a common goal. And I should say like that, like 1616, the name is, it's called 1616 because in, in that year, um, they coined the term Buffalo. And the cool thing about Buffalo is, is that when the storm hits, they all band together um, and push through the storm. Every other animal runs away from the storm and they end up getting caught up in the storm longer periods of time because they're running away where the Buffalo, like they band together, go into the, the storm and then get out the other side stronger and, and, and quicker. Um, so that's kind of like the mindset we want to have for kids. Uh, you know, you, you're going to have uncomfortable things come your way. And if you're prepared to deal with those things, you'll come out stronger uh, on the other side and, and really being more intentional uh, with the mental side of the game as the physical, because everybody's doing all sorts of skills camps and off ice training. And you know, you know what uh, everyone's up to. Everyone's got something going on physically. And yeah. as a, culture hockey culture we we haven't taken the time to understand the value of you know what's going on between your ears and we've kind of neglected that for kids so we're putting them in more pro type situations without giving them the tools to deal with the pressures and different things that come with that so that's kind of that's where we started with 1616 and then it's it's really like treating treating your brain like you would treat your body so, you know, you, you don't just put a kid under a 300 pound uh, squat rack and, and say, hey, start lifting. You, you, you got to work them up to that point and you got to start with body, you know, body squats and then put a little weight on at a time. So uh, I would say that's what we're doing with 1616 is we're just putting a little weight on that bar uh, to help the kids get those muscles a little stronger. I, I love it, man. And, uh, you know, I had similar, I have, we have similar visions, sort of the same kind of thing with puck support that we're building right now. And I always say to everybody uh, that it's going to take more than one person, one organization to to really make an impact here. And it's, it, it's not even about people, one person or one organization. It's about people paying attention to this and understanding, like you said, how much of an impact it can have either positively or negatively. If, if you don't focus on the mental mindset and, and mental health, like look what happened to me, right? Like I fell apart. So many other guys have fallen apart along the way. Guys that played in the NHL. I know there's many guys still struggling and I know many of them listen to this show. Um, I've had a couple of them come up to me at one guy come up to me at a concert up here in Muskoka. I'm not in Muskoka right now, but in Muskoka, um, you know, I'm not going to use his name or anything. And I'd never met him before, you know, played in the NHL and just came over. And honestly, he broke down in tears because you know, he doesn't know what he's going to do after hockey. And, 
he struggled his whole career with drinking and drugs and and all of this stuff and and you know suicide attempts and and contemplating his life and 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 he went into detail about you know how it's been going on since he was younger and i often too talk about a proactive approach with all of this stuff that we're talking about it's not always right it's honestly never really right to to wait for crisis i mean sometimes it just happens and we can't we have to deal with it on the fly but being able to empower these young athletes to you know tell someone that they're not okay or to have the tools to be able to work through it or the tools to work through it with their teammates or with their friends at school uh, that's really where i believe in it and obviously you believe where we're going to see significant change and, and a huge impact so uh, i'm i'm so happy that you're doing this and i can't think of of a better guy to to be doing this so, like listen to the story you just told here tonight on this show um, and, and, you know, you obviously have a lot of resiliency and you're just a tremendous role model. So I'm excited to see the impact that you guys are going to have across North America. Um, is your, is your wife, uh, pretty involved in this as well? Like, is it a, is it a more of a family affair where she's able to be kind of more a part of what this next step is after your career? Yeah, she, she's, we're both heavily involved. Um, we're in on all the meetings and we have a full research team um a curriculum team with with some mental health experts and we have a full production team so like uh, our we teach kids through story um you know maybe we'll we'll have a, a brady legal episode huh. one day but it's it, you understand the impact of your story and telling your story right i think you've, you've seen it you don't have people come up you have people come you know coming up to you telling you their story and um the impact that you can have with just a story, especially for kids, uh, they say, you know, that's, that's the best way they learn. So we're telling like stories of pro hockey players and the adversity and different stuff that they've gone throughout, uh, gone through throughout their, their lives. Um, and then being able to, you know, get over that adversity and, and I, we want kids to understand that, like, you know, if you're an NHL player and Olympic, uh, athlete, uh, we go through the same stuff that they do. And I think a lot of times young kids look at, look up at us and they think like, Oh, like they were just so much better than everybody. And they said, everything happened for them and everything went right. And it's like, no, like we went through the same stuff that you went through or are going through right now. So we want them to relate to our stories and learn from our stories. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's a way for, you know, players that have gone through the game to, to get, you know, it's an opportunity for them to give back with their story as well, which I think is, is could be pretty cool going forward. But I know it's going to be, man. I know it's going to be, and I know it's going to have a tremendous impact. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, I'm, I can't tell you. Like I'm, I, it's more of this is needed, man. And you're such a leader. You've obviously been a leader throughout, you know, your career. You've worn the sea for many different organizations. You got a letter now. Um, I, I got to ask you. You got one more year on your contract. What's up for next year? Yeah, I, I don't know yet. Um, so I again I had I had knee surgery towards the end oh, of God. last year. I was eight games from a thousand, and um, I've had I had two meniscal repairs on my right knee, um, and then it finally just went this last year. So that was my my last load of adversity before before a thousand games. So um, I, I got to figure out my knee and make sure that that's uh in a decent place um so that i can play i guess that's first order of business and then my I, you know you hope to play but uh i also want to 
have a life after hockey and be able to to move and play with my kids. So we'll see how my knee's doing. Yeah. What uh, when you think about what that looks like, you know, whether it's a you know a year from now, two years, who knows? What does what comes to mind for you? Like what what is Andrew Ladd gonna do after hockey? Have you have, is this something you've thought about? over the years and plan for it. And I'm not just talking about financially because obviously you've done well there, but finding that purpose, yes, 1616.org, yes, being with your family, but how much have you thought about it? And um, are you a little concerned of what life looks like without having that accountability going to the rink every day? I've, I've thought about it for sure. Um, I think, you know, I had a little bit of time, like I said, that year where I was just skating by myself and, um, lots of time then to, to think about what's next and, and what's moving forward. Uh, I think, you know, I want to be, I want to stay involved in the game somehow, uh, how that looks, what that looks like now. I, I don't really know, but, uh, 16, 16 will be, you know, it's, it's, it's a full-time gig right now. So, uh, that'll be kind of my, my purpose, um, moving forward here and, and, and then I just have to sit down and, and figure out what my next vision is. I think that's kind of the next step because uh, without without the vision or like goal in front of me, um, I think that's that's when there could be trouble. So I think just taking the time to like get curious a little bit about what I want to do next and what what you know what does that next phase of my life look like? Not only for me but my family and um, you know having time to coach my kids and all those different things and, and, you know, things that have been neglected the last, you know, six, seven years that I've, I've been playing. Uh, those are all things that are important to me. So trying to find, you know, happy medium between having purpose and then not sacrificing those things will, will be a big thing for me moving forward. Absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's tough, right? Like you, you see it with a lot of guys and, and it's, it's hard to, to leave the game and to leave basically all we've known, all you've known, you did it way longer than me, but even yeah. I find that guys that even just play up to like, say the dub and then they stop playing. It's like, they, they lose themselves tier two and they stop playing. It's like, what is my purpose? Like, what, what does that look like? Um, so I think, I think this is going to, this, the sixteen sixteen LF is going to, I, I bet you, if it already hasn't uh, fulfill your heart more um, as you start to see the impact that you have, then, then honestly, then a, then a Stanley cup. And I don't say that because I don't know, but I'm telling you as things progress and you start to see the impact that you have on kids and their parents and their families, and then people coming to you and saying, Hey, like, you know, thank you for this program. It changed my life. It saved my life. It saved my friend's life. Like those are the moments. And those are the things that, that really will provide that, that purpose moving forward out of hockey. And by, you know, I've kind of done it on a smaller scale. I found my way back into the game of hockey and, and kind of used my story to connect with hockey players and now outside of hockey. And, and it's given me purpose to wake up every single day because I know there's people that are messaging me probably right now, ladder. You have no idea how many messages I get of people that hockey players, non-hockey players. Um, and it, and it, it gives me purpose to know that, you know, people are out there struggling and that more than anything, they're willing to talk and to talk about it and they're feeling comfortable to reach out to me and it's it's happening for for your foundation as well and i, I the door the floodgates are just going to open uh for your foundation man and you're really going to touch a lot of lives thanks before I, let you, before I let you go i gotta ask a couple more questions where are you posted up where are you going to live when you retire um and what's your best memory uh in in hockey if you have one? Oh, uh well we're in arizona right like um we're going to be in arizona this year um you know, plan is to 
live in Kelowna when we're done. Yeah, go figure. I, I knew that was coming. Yeah, so that's 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 uh, where we'll be um, after after we're done. We'll just start there and, and see how that goes. Um, so that was the first question. What was the second question? Oh man, I have such a bad memory. Um, yeah, no, you got them. You got the first one. You said Arizona, then you said Kelowna, and your best hockey memory. My best Is hockey memory. Is there one that sticks out for you? I know you said your thousandth game, but is there a, a moment or a goal or something that maybe isn't so obvious where you can look back and be like, man, that was, that was pretty awesome. Or I'm really proud of myself or proud of my team, whatever that looks like. Oh yeah. Um, there's so many, there's probably, I'll probably just mention a few. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, the Stanley cups are the easy, obvious yeah. ones. You know, I scored, um, I had a broken shoulder, in when we won in Chicago and came back and you know I scored in game six of the of the our last game there before we won and was on the ice in overtime when uh Kaner scored um you know those are some pretty cool moments to think back on um getting to the playoffs with Winnipeg the first time after you know you know we didn't have a really great team um and, and we probably surprised a few people by even getting the playoffs. So like, I think for me being the captain of that team, that was, you know, uh, it was a cool moment to see that happen and, and um, see how excited the city of Winnipeg got when we, when we made the playoffs. Um, and then, and then it was like my, my thousandth and one game. I had my whole family there, a lot of friends, my kids got to go on the ice um, my wife um, to share that moment with them because I, you know, like, as you know, like it's the people that are there for you in the toughest times um, that know how much it meant for you to get there. And obviously you know how much it meant to have their support through those tough times. Um, so to have that moment with them, understanding that, you know, it took four years to get 80 NHL games and get to a thousand. Um, they knew how much it meant to me uh, and, I knew how much they meant to me getting to that point um, for my wife, my kids, all the way to my parents and brothers and um, so on and so forth. A lot of friends too. So I think that to me uh, was a pretty, pretty cool moment uh, to kind of bring everything full circle. It's uh, it's been fun to watch, man. And sometimes I was watching from a jail cell, believe it or not in Maple Ridge at Fraser regional correctional center. Uh, uh, and I and I'm just making a joke, but I'm not joking. That's a true story. Um, but it, just to be able to, you know, I always honestly felt like, you know, pretty proud that you know I got to train alongside you, even though I, you know, kicked myself for for the way I acted and obviously had a lot going on and and not showing up. But it, you know, it it's paying dividends now. Now that I, you know, I'm doing different stuff in the game of hockey, and, and just to have the experience to to see somebody. Uh, overcome so much and just have just a tremendous amount of success and to be able to share that with some of the kids that I'm coaching. And um, I really think it, it's just a really, really important story and one that I've, you know, uh, carried with me because I got to witness only a small portion of it when you were pretty young and you were really, you know, the first guy that I knew that, you know, got drafted you know, significantly high anyways, like fourth overall, like that's a big deal. 
Um, and it just felt like it was so close to home, you know, and I think that was the, the case for a lot of us, you know, that, that were training there at fit life. Shout out Adam Francilia. I actually talked to him like a year ago. Um, yeah. roughly Adam. Yeah. Uh, great guy. Um, him and Kathy out there in fit life. I have some, some good memories and some not so good memories in the fit life bathroom being hung over and strung out and everything else. And, um, but I, I hold on to that and I care, I've carried it with me. Uh, and I've been cheering you on uh, all along, but we haven't talked for 15 years. And I was so happy to see you got your thousandth game. And I knew that I I messaged you and, and I was like, man, you're getting close. And you're like, I'm actually injured. And I'm like, oh, shit, man. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, uh, but, to, but to see you get that, you know, thousandth game and to see your kids there and getting their little sticks and, and all that stuff, too. Uh, what a what a just a just an incredible career. And, and hopefully it's not over. But if, you know, something, you know, comes down where it's like, hey, my knee's not my knee's not good enough. And I know I don't need to tell you this, but just go take a good, hard look in the mirror and, and, and understand how amazing it is of what you've accomplished and be proud of what you've accomplished um, because you did it, man. You, you're doing it, but you did it and you did it against uh, a lot of odds. And, and maybe it didn't feel that way for you, but people told you no, people told you no. And it was like, yeah, watch me, man. I'm just going to work. I'm just going to work. And uh, yeah, just super proud to have been able to train with you and skate with you in the summers and, and thankful for this chat tonight. I want to get to a couple comments before I let you go. I'm not going to get to all of them. Um, but if anybody wants to fire away now, I'll try to get to, to some of them. Um, where am I going to start here? Uh, Josh Watkins says, glad to see them hosting you and all of us. On this hockey down and back, thank you, Minor family. That's a shout out to the Minor family downstairs. Love you guys. Uh, Mitch says, would love to hear about Phil the Thrill in Arizona. Um, the guy's a beauty, eh? Philly is one of a kind, man. Um, That's all you need I to love, say. I love going to that rink every day and seeing that guy. So, like, yeah, he he's so old school, and he'd have his Coke and his chocolate chip cookie in between periods, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you get he's one of those guys you get an appreciation for how good he is when you get to see him day in and day out. Yeah. Um, you know, his ability to to thread the needle uh was was pretty impressive. So I had I had a great time playing with with uh with Phil. No doubt. Uh Andre says, love this pod. Apollo also saying love this pod times two. Brady, no, oh, come on, I didn't mean to click that one. <laughs> Brian Lee says, My dad. My How's dad, your dad doing, man? I haven't seen him I, in forever. Listen. I just, I just read my, I'm like, Brian Leavold says, I'm like, wait a sec. That's my dad. Hold on. It says awesome. Back and forth. This is the best hockey episode you've had. Nice to see and hear you again, Andrew. Sorry. Ladder. LOL. Um, yeah, my dad's good, man. He's been on the show like three times, make special guest appearances. I talked to him today and he's the one that reminded me about slashing you on the laces. I'd kind of forgot, but then he told me, I'm like, yeah, he's like, yeah, you told me that. And uh, he's like, make sure you mention it. So I had to say it on account of my dad. But uh, yeah, he obviously coached you for for a short period of time with the Bandits, and uh, you know, it's. I'm sure my dad feels the same way about the things that I, I I've said about you. Just you know, he got to coach you for a short period of time and to see what you've accomplished. Again, you know, not everybody, like very few people, accomplish even playing one game in the NHL. So you know, for a coach and then for somebody two years younger than you looking up to you, man, it's just been an awe of you. So. Uh, Stuart Smith, Stuart Smith, assistant fire chief out there in Abbotsford, uh, says, Brian, the best episodes were the ones with you on them. This is a close second. couple of guys have a great conversation about perseverance. Stick with it. Push yourself. Believe you can do it. Hello to Stuart. And happy belated birthday to his wife, Allie. 
Uh, Clyde Murray, I think he's in Abbotsford too, says, just awesome. Really enjoyed this. Uh, Doug Eaton, we got two more and then I'll, that'll be it here. It is great to have a program that you can adjust to your needs. Talking about the, the 1616 Lad Foundation. Uh, Danny Cassie, my old skills coach at Puckmasters in Poco. You remember that place? I do, actually. I, I, I spent some time there. Uh, it's been a while, but yeah. I, I yeah, it's not, it's not there anymore, but uh, he was my. He actually lives in the Philippines now, but he was my skills coach and a guy that I really looked up to. He also says epic pod. Epic potty is what he says. Oh, he's, he's corrected it now, but um, sorry if I didn't get to your comments. I don't want to keep Andrew too much longer, but I listen, I would love to do this again at some point down the road if you'd be up for it. And sure. uh, you know, I know you have a lot of stuff going on and you don't need my help for anything. But if there's ever a time that I can contribute in any way, uh, you know, you just let me know, man, and I'm all in, uh, whether it's me or puck support or whatever, you need somebody to talk to. I've acquired some pretty good skills for, for, someone to lean on believe it or not can you believe that I, was, yeah. I can't i've been listening to you for a while yeah. if you would have asked me 15 years ago i might have might have said nah, i don't know but <laughs> i was pretty bad hey like i was a, i was a train wreck hey eh? you, you know i mean i no, like i i don't know i always i actually remember you more when you were younger and like um you know just you had that swagger and better hands than all the old the older kids um, but no, I, I, it's funny cause I didn't, I didn't even really notice. Um, uh, maybe that's on me. Right. Cause it's like, it's a good lesson to be curious about, be more mm. curious about, uh, what's going on with your buddies and, and people around you. But, uh, well, I remember, I remember one time, uh, you and Yipper pulled me aside in fit life and, and just said, Hey man, like, I don't know what's going on, but you need to get your head or something like you need to get your head on straight. If you want to be a player, you guys were already playing like pro at that time. And you played yeah. in the world juniors. It's probably one of the last years that you were around. I think you started to do stuff more on your own outside of the group. Yeah. Um, and, and you guys, you and Yipper were training together before us. I, I want to say, is that sound? Yeah. Maybe right? Yeah, it sounds right. Yep. Yeah, and 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 you guys were playing pro, and and you guys pulled me aside and and just said that, and you know I I think back to that, and it, of course it didn't you know have a significant impact on me then. I I knew that I was you know not doing great things, but you know, I just you know you may not remember that. Obviously, you don't. You've had sounds like you've had a little bit to remember and a lot to go through in the last eighteen years. I don't expect you. To remember that. Yeah, well, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I, I do appreciate you doing that, and, and shout out to Yipper too because he was always super kind to me back then. He kind of had a better understanding of what was going on. Me and him talked uh, a little bit more about it, but um, you know, I, I really thank you for your time tonight, Andrew, and uh, I wish you all the best uh, on the rest of your hockey career. More importantly, you know, I think I think you've accomplished you know, more than anybody ever sets out to accomplish. I don't think anybody goes, yeah, I'm going to win two Stanley Cups, a world junior gold, play a thousand games in the NHL. Like that, that is just remarkable. And, and there's other accolades in there as well that, that I'm not getting to. And, you know, just check out his elite prospects age. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the best way to do it. So, yeah, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Sorry. It took so long to, to make this happen, but um well let's definitely do it again and and like i said i'm pr proud proud of what you're up to uh obviously uh, impacting a lot of people and uh you know i think that's that's been the best part about me being in the space too is is just the people you get to meet and the more you tell their story the more people open up and tell you their stories as as you know so keep up the good work and uh we'll talk to you soon man
Okay, Ladder. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate this more than you'll ever know. So thank uh, you so much, man. Yeah, okay, buddy. We'll thanks. chat soon. Yeah. Bye. All right, guys. That's Andrew Ladd. That was a phenomenal conversation. That was like, that was actually so fun to just sit there and listen. A lot of the stuff I knew, some I didn't, but I'm just so happy that, you know, if you watch this or you're listening to this after, that you got to hear it um, from somebody that, you know, went through adversity and look at what he accomplished. So any hockey parents out there, listen to what he said tonight, right? There's a couple takeaways that, you know, I, that I got from tonight's episode and, and stuff that I tell my parents and I tell hockey parents as well as, you know, we got to do more focus on the mind more than anything. Sometimes less training is better. Focus on how you can improve your mental game, not just your mental game, but your mental mindset, your mental health, right? For any players or parents of players who have been cut from AAA or cut from a junior team and you have the goal of playing in the NHL, playing pro hockey, playing major junior, whatever it looks like, whatever your goals are today, next month, six months, a year, three, five years from now, whatever those are, regardless of what anybody tells you, you can make it happen. Andrew Ladd is living proof. And what it just a very inspiring story uh, to be able to really sit back and you know, I, I think back to, to being that young boy, meeting Andrew and, and being around him and, and understanding what he had to go through to get where he got to and just be able to sit back and watch it unfold for the last 16 years has been pretty special for me on a personal level. Uh, and I certainly appreciate Andrew's time, as I'm sure all of you guys do if you're watching or listening to this. I really believe that this is just a very, very very impactful episode if you're watching on youtube please press that like press subscribe turn on notifications if you're on facebook go to youtube subscribe to my channel but if you're on facebook press share right now share it to your page if you like this episode tell your friends about it that's how things happen around here rely heavily on all of you and i'm just so 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 grateful for everybody who's contributed to not just my recovery, um, but my my overall well-being because it's you guys that really keep me going uh, day in and day out. Uh, people that watch this podcast, people that support me on social media, people that send me messages, um, whether it's, you know, kind words, which, you know, I do get a lot of, um, but I never get sick of hearing it. Thank you to everybody who's taken the time out of their life uh, to send me a message, uh, to comment on something. Um, thank you. Um, I just, I can't say it enough. And to those people who have reached out to me and, and, and I don't say this for any other reason, uh, then it, it's been sometimes overwhelming. Uh, it's been hard, uh, but it's been very rewarding. And I'm grateful to be in the position that people reach out to me and, and often share their deepest, darkest secrets that they've never told anybody before. Thank you for, for sharing those stories with me and sharing your life with me. And more than anything, I'm proud of you. If you have done that, whether with me or with somebody else, I'm proud of you that you had the courage to do that because that's when real 
healing begins. I'm going to wrap up this show in just a minute, but a quick word from our friends at Pride Tape. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to our friends over there at PrideTape. I got PrideTape on my stick, every stick I have and it's a way to show a solidarity and support for everybody in the hockey community um, it's about anti-bullying it's really just about love and support and being kind to one another and trying to have a greater understanding of what each individual is going through because we're all going through different things at any given time and if I've really learned something learned a lot actually in the last couple of years but I'll tell you, love is so powerful. Kindness is so powerful. Community is so powerful. I kind of rushed through the intro leading into Andrew Ladd because he just gotten off a ferry and I'm sure he was tired and uh, he literally rushed home to, to do the podcast. So I didn't want to leave him hanging too much, but I, w- I want to circle back a little bit about my weekend that I've had down here in Lowbanks uh, with the minor family. And I'm going to share some pictures because if I keep talking, I'm going to start crying, which honestly is okay. Be 35 next month and I'm okay to cry. I got no issue crying. And, uh, you know, I really believe you hear this story or this story, the saying that real men cry, you know takes a real man to, to show emotion growing up it was like men are tough and they hold it down and they fight and that's the way that I lived my life for a long time but in here in my heart that was never who I was and you know, I've always been emotional my whole life but I've held it back and that often came out in anger uh, me acting out, me self-destructing, when really all I probably needed to do was have a good cry and tell somebody how I was feeling. But instead I had this mentality of suck it up, don't show weakness, you're a hockey player. And you know, I fought a lot. But I'm telling you, I fought because I was scared to cry. I was scared to feel emotion. I was scared to understand who I am, what I've gone through, and, you know, just to the places that that took me. And 
That is not the case today. <laughs> you know, that is not the case today. Not even close. Sometimes I still hold it in. I don't really like to cry in front of people, but I will. If you have to have a good cry, just let it out. Just let it out. Find somebody to talk to. Let it out. Or just go for a drive in your car. Go for a walk. If you want to get away and it's tough, let it out. It is just a tremendous feeling to be able to let emotions out. You don't carry all of that in here. You don't have to carry it in here. The stress, the pressures, the sadness, the grief. As people, we don't have to sit through that or work through it alone. I know when I tried to do that, my life just continued to spiral out of control. Now that I've distracted myself from not crying, is that hypocritical? I want to talk more about my weekend. Just share a couple of pictures. Today I got to go on the Lindsay Lenore. And let me tell you, it was a dream come true for me. It, it you know, number, you know, I'm not gonna say number one, there's not, I'm not in order here, but for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to go on an actual fishing boat. Not, you know, not like a 16 footer, 20 footer, or a little tin boat with a rod. I mean, like, I wanna go out into open water and I wanna, I wanna have that experience of what it's like to be on a real fishing boat. And that happened today. And I can't, I can't tell you how much it meant to me. There's a picture of me, Zach and, and Harper there's a picture of the crew from today, left to right. We got Zach, Tom, Cody, me, Mitch, and the star of today, Harper, down there. This is after we finished on the boat. And, uh, you know, I talked about how much it meant to me to be on a fishing boat, but what really meant a lot to me was to be able to, to spend the day with Tom and, and the rest of the crew and, and, and just, you know, be able to give Tom a hug today. He, he hung the... Young the puck support flag, it's it's out in, in the front yard with the Canadian flag and, and you know, I started crying when I saw him do that and you know, just to have the minors in my life uh, has been a real gift under the worst circumstances. Um but it's been a real gift. And you know, I know uh, Daniel is no doubt watching down over all of us here right now, certainly here in Low Banks. And, you know, I went outside before this podcast and said a little prayer and looked up. And yeah, I, uh, I just had this overwhelming sense that Daniel guided me uh, to his family, um, to his mom, to his dad, to his sister. To his nephew and niece, to his wife, and to his son, Jack. Zach, I didn't forget about you either. It's going to be tough to walk downstairs and I, yeah, I'm just grateful for you guys and I love you guys so much and I know it's been 
tremendously, tremendously difficult for all of you. And there's no words that I can say. I know I tell you guys all the time. I don't know what to say because I don't. But I just want you to know that I love you and I'm here for all of you. And uh, I'm not going anywhere. Never. When you guys came into my life, it added an accountability piece that that I certainly didn't have. It took it really took my mindset and, and what I'm doing to another level after having the conversations I've had with you guys and just to see the the impact that losing Daniel has had on your life. And there's been so many, there's been so many hockey players. But I'm not, I am closer to you guys than any other one of those families. And that doesn't, maybe I shouldn't say that, but that's just the truth. And I didn't know you guys. And uh, I was struggling. I was struggling big time. And uh, when I met you guys and there was a time last summer where things probably could have went off the rails for me. Honestly, um, it was it was that bad. I was I was really struggling last summer. And uh, Tom and Michelle came up. I'd never met them before, but they came up to Muskoka, got a hotel and we, we got to hang out and chat. And 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 from there. You know, I, I just feel like you, you guys are family to me and it made me understand that I can never go back. Under any and all circumstances, I can never go back. I never want to go back. But after meeting you guys, that was the, that was, that was it. I knew, I knew that I had to do whatever it takes to stay on this path, not for me, but to show people hope and to continue sharing stories like Daniel's and Mitch Fadden and Matthew Lazinski, the list goes on. It is heart wrenching every day of my life. You know, I'm, I'm pressing shirts and puck support with these names and by allowing me to share Daniel's story and I'm going to stop talking here in a minute. I know this is not easy probably to listen to. But by allowing me to share Daniel's story, not just here on this podcast or on social media, but at the four on four hockey tournament uh, where we skated for our angels, I got to speak and you guys allowed me to to share your guys' story, to share Daniel's story. You know, I, I held Jack and I addressed several, I, I don't know how many people were in Boston Pizza, but there were, it was packed. And, you know, I talked to Zach tonight who is uh, Tom and Michelle's son-in-law, the husband of Lindsay. And we chatted and he brought that up and he said, you know, that really had an impact for so many reasons on, on everybody that was in that, that establishment that night. 
And it wasn't because of anything that I said. It was because you guys had the courage and the strength and the understanding of what kind of impact that could have on others. And that's the most important piece here. And you know, we can't we can't bring Daniel back. We can't bring any of the angels back from Puck Sport or anyone that has passed away. But we can share their stories and we can save lives. I I, I know we can. I know we have. So this is not about me. This is not about puck support. This is about everybody having a greater understanding that this stuff is happening and it's happening on a daily basis in the hockey community, outside of the hockey community. We're losing people every single day. And we talked about it on this podcast about, you know, exercising the mind and being proactive with mental health and everything else. I'm going to sit here and tell everybody, and I've said this before, if you're watching or listening to this and you're sitting there thinking, oh, this could never happen to me. This could never happen to my family. I don't need to pay attention to it. Let me tell you, you do. I greatly, greatly hope that it doesn't. But the facts are is that it can. And it's it's really time for us to take a proactive approach as as communities, as people, as families to do what we can do, whatever we can do to educate ourselves, to put ourselves in the best position to support our loved ones, our friends, others in the community. And instead of turning our backs on people who are struggling with addiction or mental illness or mental health and being like, well, I don't understand that. So that's not my problem. Imagine the healing that can take place when people are there without judgment. The people who need help, whether it's someone going through it, if they have a loved one going through it, they don't feel any guilt or shame to talk about what's going on in their life. Imagine the healing that can take place. Doctors don't have all the answers. Psychologists don't have all the answers. Psychiatrists don't have the, all the answers. Mental health mindset coach coaches don't have all the answers. There is no one in the world that has all the answers. But let me tell you that answers can be found when people help people. I'm telling you, I've never been more certain of it in my entire life. What will you do today to put yourself in a position to better understand mental health and addiction? What will you do? Because it can happen to you. It can happen to your family. It can happen to somebody you deeply, deeply care about. And wouldn't you rather be in the position to love and support than to be one of those people that turns your back because it's, it's not my problem or I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't know how to help this person. They're on their own. I'll tell you from somebody who had a lot of people turn their back on me. It's disastrous. Not being able to talk about this stuff trying to deal with it on your own, disastrous. 
catastrophic. When will we all start paying more attention to these topics and less to what Kim Kardashian is wearing and you know whatever the latest trend is? I, I see all these people on social media that have these millions of followers. What the hell are they doing? Why are we following these people? Why are we wasting our time watching what other people are doing, living these fake lives and everything else? Spend your time doing something positive, doing something constructive. Spend your time educating yourselves, educating your kids, talking about real life issues. They call it real life for a, for a reason because it happens. It's real. Like I said, it's happening every single day. Do not wait until it's too late. Do not wait until there is a crisis. I'm begging all of you to please be proactive. Be proactive. I think that's it for me. I think I have one more picture I want to show. Friend of the Minor family, Chad Campbell, was down here uh, filming a music video for the song called I Think You Knew, which was written in memory of Daniel Minor. And it is my favorite song in the entire world. I've shared it on my social media, like the rough version, but Chad uh, is releasing the full version very, very soon. You're going to be hearing it on this podcast in the very, very near future. There's a music video coming out. I can't wait to see it. I even have got to have a small, small part in it, which honestly meant a lot to me to be in it. But at the end of the day, I just want people to listen to this song because it's that good. It is that impactful. Um, there's a picture of me and Chad the other day outside the minor family household. He's got a, he's starting a podcast and he's finding his way uh, finding his passions and I'm um, super proud of Chad and uh, I honestly if you haven't heard the song I can't wait for you to hear it it's if you're a hockey player or a hockey parent hockey anyone in the hockey community especially and you struggle or have someone that struggles with mental health or addiction the song is very impactful very 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 impactful and it's in memory of Daniel Miner, and I've listened to it probably a hundred times and it makes me cry every single time. And when he was playing it live, I was crying in the driveway. Just really excited for people to hear this song. I, I really think it's going to open a lot of people's minds and a lot of people's hearts. And uh, I'm just really excited for you all to hear it. Anyways, I'm going to stop talking. I'm losing my voice. I talked way too much tonight. Andrew did the majority of the talking during the show, so I thought, eh, well, might as well yap at the end a little bit. We got bugs flying around. I had to open the window because it was hot, but I think, how'd they get in here? There's a screen on there. When, it, when in low banks. Anyways, before I go, thank you again to the Miner family, to everyone um, down here, the fishing crew today. I failed to mention that I got, I got seasick. I left my sea legs on the West Coast. In Vancouver, I guess, five years ago when I moved out to Ontario. I 
basically just took up space on the boat today. Um, I had to go lay in the bunk for like an hour, hour and a half because I was, I was seasick. I didn't throw up, but man, I was getting the spins. I was sweating. It was hot. But I, I was honestly through all of it, though it was uncomfortable, I was at this immense peace. I've never been uncomfortable. It wasn't even that bad, but it was uncomfortable for a while. But I just had this overwhelming sense of peace. And uh, it just meant a lot to be on the boat with Captain Tom and yeah, just be on the water and, and just to see their life down here. So thank you, Tom. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, all of all of you. Tom, Michelle, Lindsay, Zach, Harper, Ainsley, Haley, Jack, and Susan Cook, of course, who is downstairs as well. Thank you um, for, for making this weekend happen. It, it really means a lot to me. I can't say it enough. And shout out to Cody and Mitch on the boat for being kind to me when I had no idea what I was doing and could not get a fish out of the net for the life of myself. It was honestly embarrassing. Humbling. Humbling. But guess what? There's one lesson from tonight's podcast. It's persevering and never giving up and keep trying. So if you think that's the last time I'm I'm ever going to be on the water doing that, sadly, sadly mistaken. I'm coming back with vengeance next time. Might even get a net and practice at home a little bit. I don't know. Come back and, and, and shock the crew on the Lindsay Lenore. Anyways, we will be back here next week. Back to our regular 8 o'clock time, 8 p.m. Eastern, with Anthony Stewart from Hockey Night in Canada, former NHLer. He's on the panel for CBC Sportsnet. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, he'll be joining the show next Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Anthony Stewart, looking forward uh, to getting Stewie on the show. In the meantime, please check out Puck Support on social media at puck support pucksupport.com we're excited uh, to announce that you know our non-for-profit will be launched very soon i know i've been saying this but i actually mean it this time we've had some some bumps in the road but uh it's finally going to happen and uh, i'm just excited to share it with all of you with all of you guys who have been kind of sitting on sitting in idle waiting for all of this to happen and still being so kind uh, if you want to have a shirt like this we got lots of cool merch with with great messages and you know i i can only speak from my experience but i know there's other people wearing it having the same experience where getting stopped and you're like what is that and it's just creating these unbelievable conversations to to open up about mental health and addiction and and I always make sure that I'm showing, you know, the name of, of a hockey player that we we have inside ourselves tonight. My hat has Mitch Fadden, my former line mate. Andrew Carroll in my hat. I have lots of puck support gear, and that that opens up the conversation. It's a way to remember all the hockey players that we've lost and hopefully inspire some people to get talking about what maybe they're going through or what their loved one is going through so that they can get the help that they need and that they deserve. I'm going to fire through the rest of the comments after I sign off here. If you're not following me on social media at mental health hockey, 
said at puck support follow podcast at hockey down back please share with your friends subscribe turn on notifications all that stuff that i swore i'd never say i'm saying it thank you for watching thank you for listening i appreciate and love each and every single one of you i am one grateful human being uh, to be in the position that i'm in just to be alive if you're watching this you're alive too so take a moment embrace this life embrace this dream because that's really what life feels like to me it's it's this dream it's this this road of endless creativity and endless possibilities and yes it gets hard but there's so much beauty in this world and if you focus on that life is pretty damn good life is pretty damn good anyways we'll see you guys all next monday 8 p.m with anthony stewart until then be kind find the gratitude in the little things i'm losing my voice and remember have a great day if you so choose I want the real stuff, everybody listen up Cause I'll only say it once, I'm gonna show you all the path If you want it bad, I'm gonna show you every side Yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done I'll be number one, working hella hard until I get just what I want Yeah, rise just like the sun, yeah, fade like a What's gun What's up, Karch? What's up, buddy? Love you, man I'm gonna shoot until I fall, always do it alone So I gotta get through it, and the only thing I know is to love what I'm doing Never give up, never slow till I finally prove it. Never listen to the nose, I just wanna keep moving. Yeah, I put out all the start, it's my only medicine. Yeah, everything I do, I'm just being genuine. Yeah, I'm sick of being screwed, feel my own adrenaline. Yeah, I do just what I do, and I hope you let me in, let me in. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable.